The sponsor of our show today is CNE Wildlife. CNE Wildlife partnered up with North American Deer Talk. We're incredibly grateful for that. If you get a, a chance or an opportunity, say thank you to them. And the reason is really simple. They have 30 years of commitment to all natural probiotics. This commitment's really a passion for them. And they've established that through university research at Texas Tech. Whether that be their fawn paste, their top score product, their show choice, farm pack, all the various products they have, they really provide a service and a set of products that helps your herd thrive. Give Sadie a call over there at CNE and uh, order up some good stuff. We think you'll like it. We know we do. We've been uh, product users for almost 15 years now. Um, we feel it's the best around. So get you some CNE wildlife today. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to another episode of North American Deer Talk. It is true. He's back. Mr. John True, how are you? Hey, good. Thank you. Glad yeah. to be here. I appreciate you being here. Um, so I got, uh, I got some feedback from one of our, our regular listeners, and they tell me that I do a bad job at promoting the show. So before we get fired up, I just want to remind everybody, if you're watching on YouTube, hit that subscribe button, hit that little bell. It notifies you when new stuff goes off. And if you think the shows are good or they'll have value to one of your friends, go ahead and share that out. We appreciate it. Um, John, it's good to be back. We got to chat here, um, you know, just a week or two ago. We talked some TDA stuff. It was a great conversation. Um, I want to talk about your, your personal journey today into the whitetail deer world. You've been doing this for uh, quite a long time, more than 20 years now. Um, coming up on, on 25. So you started in, in 1998. Give us a little bit of that origin story about like how you went from, you know, enjoying the, the outdoors and, and deer hunting into, you know, the, 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 the place you are today, the breeding world and, and uh, raising white-tailed deer. Sure. Well, um, you know, growing up hunting and fishing was everything to me uh, and my dad. And that's, and I had a, I was lucky to have um, an incredible father who who liked to do that with me and 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 just basically planted a seed with me early on um, that is that is stronger than ever today and and so growing up hunting and fishing uh, I was born in Abilene uh, we moved to Dallas when I was a child and still had a bunch of family north of Abilene and and um, and some property out in farther east Texas that I spent a lot of time with my dad basically every weekend doing that stuff so um, anyway, after when I was after college, I came back to Dallas and uh, I went to work for a gentleman named Tom Swift um, on doing real estate. We have a little private equity firm in Dallas and we specialize in, in uh, limited partner investments uh, in real estate development. Um, but one of the, you know, the, the biggest reasons that Tom and I are still together today is our our love for the outdoors and doing stuff together, hunting and fishing with our family, hunting and fishing together. Um, we just love it. And it's something that, that has, it's, it's been a strong bond between us. Um, but so I went to work for Tom on the real estate side at 98. Tom had bought, had purchased the original ranch of Robert Williams in 1994. Um, Robert Williams had named it Big Rack Ranch in the eighties. Um, when Tom bought the property in 94, he liked the name and kept the name and Robert moved uh down the road and and kind of started over um or not started over just 
you know, took his deal with Tom at the time was he, he split the deer and uh, took some deer, kind of half the herd with him and left half at Big Rack. Um, and so Tom really, you know, liked the idea of kind of having a brood pond on the ranch that was, that was supplementing genetics, but really didn't get um, involved on the day-to-day -day stuff. Um, we had a, a foreman back then that was a, a cattle guy and you know, would, would kind of have spring roundups like you would with cattle that we do with deer. And, and so it was very um, hands-off, um, very kind of old school. And, and to be honest, you know, it was, there were four pens on an area of about 50 acres of land. So it was, <laughs> <laughs> these animals weren't used to, to being, um, you know, handled at all and whatever. There was a, there was a very uh, primitive uh, working facility uh, that was just uh, a, a few plywood boxes that with guillotine little doors that you would open up and hope the deer would just want to run down into the alley down through this um, you know that was kind of a big dream but uh, anyway so I it, it fascinated me you know and, and going out there with Tom the more I, the more I saw it the more I wanted to get involved and so um, Tom really didn't care you know he wanted to just keep you know good animals out on the ranch and so I said do you mind if I I'd like to get involved with that and just play around and so that's what I did um, and back then we had you know just a couple of, I think we had 20 total does and we basically just had a, a system in place where we would turn out all the fawns the buck fawns mainly in the spring and we would keep some doe fawns and, and switch them but um, we did it for a couple of years not knowing what we were doing you know we were just kind of breeding some deer and and you know hoping not to hurt them when it came time for spring roundups and anyway um the first time was probably a couple of years later i decided you know i guess part of that part of the business transaction that tom had with robert was the buck the buck known as bones came with the property uh and for a few for a couple of years after the sale and then he eventually went back to roberts and so we had bones i think the last year he bred uh was 96 um so we had 97 fawns out of them to the 1997 fawns that were born out of bones um and then bones went back to to rw um and so we needed some bucks and back then there wasn't facebook there there wasn't this um network of, of people to call and, and so i don't i don't really remember how we how we found them but just word of mouth uh found a couple of bucks that we ended up um i think we ended up kind of cutting a deal where they brought them in for for a year and we we split we, we let them take some does and so just to get something different um but along that journey um you know i i i stumbled upon chris mcspadden at the refuge and um you know, he, he became probably my biggest mentor uh, of my career in the deer business uh, at the time and showed me things that I'd never thought of, um, mainly on the DNA side of things. And so, you know, uh, on the, in the early days there, just talking with him about DNA and, and trying to understand, you know, who to breed, what to. Um, I know that other people have uh, similar stories. Uh, with some of those guys that have been around a long time, like, uh, like Robert and, and Chris, yeah. right. And, and certainly when you look at the foundation origins of a lot of the Texas deer, if you go back into that kind of at this point in time, you know, call it five to nine generations back, 
you see a lot of TR, see a lot of TR, see a lot of TR. Yep. And, yep. and that's, um, and, and, and that's really, um, that's laid a, a good foundation. And I know that, uh, that, uh, I'm sure Chris helped you out a, a ton with, you know, those early days. Cause like, I remember when I first started, like you had to have somebody else there kind of, you know, showing you the ropes and like being like, Hey, you could, right. you could do this or you could try this, you know? Well, you know, he, he was, he was talking to me about the DNA side of things. And so like back in 2002, 2003, I started, you know, we, we would turn bucks out every spring and, and, you know, the only way I, we could see certain bucks growing out in the pasture and we'd be like, man, that's, he looks awesome. Oh, yellow 63 is, a, is mm. an amazing buck, you know, and, but we had no idea who he was out of. Um, and so uh, I started, you know, he got, he kind of turned me on to getting, submitting DNA samples. And so probably 2003 was the, when I started doing all that, I turned in all of the old does first and it was fun. You know, I, di I didn't know what I was going to get back, you know, back then. Uh, but, but, you know, out of Robert's side or whatever, but, um, you know, what was, what was a lot of fun was we would find sheds and I would send core samples in and, and, um, you know, I, I ended up having several, you know, straight, you know, original bones, daughters and, and those bucks, the ones in the pastures, they, they started defining kind of the value in the pens, the, the you mm. know, old yellow 63, well, he, he came out of yellow 36. She's a bones daughter. So she kind of, you know, moved to the top of my list as far as she's a pretty good doe. She must be good. And I, and I'm kind of excited that, that she's still here and she hadn't died or we didn't release her or whatever. And so we, we could start playing around with that. So <laughs> it, we, it took a, a, a several other years of kind of doing that, just making, now we knew kind of what does to, to put with a, if there was a buck we liked, we would, we would kind of single them off and selectively breed, I guess, going forward. And, and so anyway, I, along the way, I, I um, you know, we were still, things were going well on the real estate side. People would catch wind of what we were doing there on the deer side. And a lot of our partners mm. on real estate would start asking, do y'all sell deer? Do y'all, you know, I've got a place, would you sell deer? And so I, it kind of opened my eyes to the business side of things uh, that I'd never seen before. And so my answer was always, yes, we sell deer, you know, and then I had to figure out you know, what I would sell and how do you value it? And, yeah. Um, you know, there wasn't, there wasn't the network that we had today back then, but anyway, um, along, along, you know, along the way, I guess um, 2006, my father passed away unexpectedly early age and it kind of just it was tough for me and and it was a uh, you know I, I was having success on the real estate side but what I'm my, what my love was was outdoors and hunting and fishing and any any time spent with him outdoors was where I was happiest um, and so I really I kind of I went back to Tom and just said you know I love I love doing this out at the ranch I want to do more of it and I want to run this as a separate business parallel to what we're doing on the real estate side. And so that was kind of the start of what I call kind of version 2.0 of big rack. And it, and it took me a couple of years to get there to, to get to where we started that, that process. Um, but it, it, you know, it opened my eyes to, I need to do more and I need to do different things. I need to start artificially breeding some deer and I, I need to just learn more and more. And so I would go back, to Chris McSpadden and sit down and, you know, days on end, um, and just try to understand 
the genetic side of things, the business side of things, um, how he lined, how he saw different things. The refuge line is, is so unique. And I, I was so blown away and impressed with, with his, um, the cerebral side of things. And so, uh, I decided I, I called him and said, you know, Chris, I want to do an AI, but I don't know what I'm doing. And we've got a, by now we've, we've kind of altered our, our working facility to be a little more useful or easy to use. Um, but I still didn't know what I was doing. I didn't understand the process. And so I said, can I bring deer to you and buy semen from you? And he said, sure. You know? Yeah. And so that's what I did in 2007. Um, we took 13 does over to the refuge and I bought enough semen to breed those, uh, those girls. And he let me pick out whatever buck I wanted out of his group as backups, um, as a backup buck for those 13 girls. And so I picked straws of the bucks I liked, Texas Sam, uh, a Texas Sam son named Junior, a buck called Sling Blade, and a buck called Apache. Um, and the buck we picked as our backup was a buck called Bladester. And uh, so anyway, uh, those girls, remember, this was, they're on 50 acres, four pins. It's, they're a little stressed. And so the day after AI, Chris calls me and says, you know, three of the girls didn't make it last night. It was, they kind of stressed out. I said that, you know, I get it. That's part of it. And I, that's just the way it is. So I've got 10 left and they're coming to big wreck that next, the next spring. And so anyway, they, they come over and call it February. And, um, you know, our, our foreman at the time was a, was a big old, uh, cowboy that's a cattleman and, He's standing with me at the end of the trailer as Chris lets him out. And he makes a comment to me that he doesn't think those does are bred. And I'm like, <laughs> come on, man, it's February. And don't be, don't rain on my parade. And yeah. so anyway, uh, we had a pen of 10 girls. And at, at, at the end of the summer, we had one fawn in that pen. <laughs> he was right. Um, he was right. <laughs> and it was, it was a doe fawn out of Apache. So it was an AI born bred doe. And it happened to be out of the best that we had in there. So I was, I was happy about that, but I still only had one. And uh, so I called Chris and just said, Hey, I, I, you know, I only got one of these. And so he, he thought first his backup buck was sterile. And so he, he pulled a straw and had it tested and sure enough, it was fine. And so um, really it was on Chris um, kind of staying on me. And he said, I, I want to help y'all out because we'd spent considerable money, you know, going through that procedure and, and, doing all that and so anyway he's he he's invited me out to the refuge said come on and i want you to i want to talk to you about some stuff and so um he ended up giving me a couple of does um we went to his three-year-old pen um he said you know which one catches your eye and there was this wide 12 point uh junior son it was a texas sam grandson um and i was like i love that red 37 he's awesome and he's like well i want y'all to have him, you know and it was a buck that was named Sam Handle, um, and he ended up being a great producer. But I was floored. I was just like, "Man, it's that's amazing," you know. And and you don't have to do that. Um, and then he pulled his binder out and he said, "I want you to pick a couple of buck fawns out of out of this book and and take them back." And you know, it's it, it's he's he kind of basically laid the groundwork for every every way the the way I treat everybody going forward. It's got to work for both of us and. He wanted me to have a good taste in my mouth after that. Um, and so he knew I liked Texas Sam and Apache. And so he's like, there's a Texas Sam son in there out of an Apache daughter. 
that one lines up. It was um, eight eight twenty five was the tag, and he knew back then. Uh, two wide was on was at the refuge, and he was in the first pen on the right. And you pulled through the gates, and and I, you know, back then I everybody likes width, and I was like, well, I'd, I'd like a two wide son, you know, get some width, you know, sure. and and so he's he had a couple in there, and he he said, well, this one I like the way this one's bred. It's two wide on Cadillac and back on Peaches. That's that's Renegade's mother, and I'm like, okay, well, that's great, you know, and that tag was eighty one forty six, and so. Uh, fast forward a few months later in October, he brings those that breeder buck over, those buck fawns, the does, and life is good, you know, and we, we have a buck now covering those does, Sam Handel, you know, bred the does, and, um, uh, you know, fast forward a few years later, that, that 8146 uh, two-wide son, we named him Dos Ancho, mm. um, who, who completely changed our world, and you know, I, we wouldn't be anywhere close to where we are today without those Sancho. Um, so completely, uh, blessed and thankful and forever thankful and, uh, grateful to Chris McSpadden for stepping up and doing the right thing back then. You know, I think we hear a lot of, you know, the term customer service and all that stuff. I, I think it, you know, I'm, I'm very thankful in it and it, and it set a, um, it, it, it planted a seed with me for sure on how to treat people and making sure that, that everything works out, not just for you, but for the, for the buyer as well, the ranch owner, sure. whoever it could be. It's, it's so. interesting that, um, you know, like that, that process is literally like, uh, years in the making for Dos Sancho's, but it started with something that like, ultimately, if you think about today was, was pretty bad, right? Like right. AI 13 does get literally get one fawn. Um, mm. but that led to, you know, number one, a great experience. Right. And you like, you know, Chris, Chris showed his, his colors and he, um, he obviously did the right thing and took care of you, which made a, you know, it sounds like a very lasting impact and, you know, kudos to him on that. And of course, out of the deal, you know, is the, the birth of, of, uh, Dos Santos and sounds like a turning point for your, for your operation. So when you, when you look back at that, um, and like you have Dos Sancho now, right. You got it. You got this, this buck fawn that becomes a name buck. Uh, where does that take you? Like, as far as, because it sounds like as you're going through this process, you, you know, you're developing as a, as a rancher, um, you're starting to become more enthralled with these animals and things are becoming more serious. So like, where, where does that take you? Cause I, I know the industry evolves too, right? Like I, I hear these stories sure. and you're like, we hope these, we hope these deer go in, in the, in the makeshift handling barn, right? Like I remember handling my first couple deer it's chaos, right? Mm -hmm. It's chaos. And, and like, I look at, like you had mentioned, like, uh, DNA, early DNA. And like, I remember like people literally on their ad pages promote single sire breeding. Like, if you say mm -hmm. that to somebody today, they're like, isn't that what everybody does? Right. <laughs> right. But like, that's, that's not how it used to be. It used right. to be a party in the pens. Right. Right. So right. like, I, I think about all these things and like these, these origins, and of course we're, we're chuckling about it, but like, when you look back on them, you know, it's kind of crazy to think like that stuff went on. But sure. Anyway, um, the uh, like the Dos Anchos, you know, like how did that how did that kind of 
um, you know, change the farm or, or kickstart things uh, well, for you? You know, I, I we so I, I bred him as a two-year-old because he was he you know by by in today's standards I, I don't he was a 187 inch two-year-old and I just really liked the look of him um, more than anything. He was just a straight up six by six, um, and so we we bred him and you have to remember you know back then I'm talking these are basically Bones daughters and Bone, we had a buck, a son of Bones that we bred with called Bones Jr., real creative. Um, but we, you know, Bones Jr. daughters and Bones daughters, that's that's basically who Dos Sancho bred the first time. And, you know, like what's so great, I, I love the DNA side of things is was such a game changer because you could scientifically point to an animal and say that's, you know, he's out of that dough and you, you would really understand the value, but you saw the value of, of Dos Anchos as well, you know, like it, you could see the production and on what, what I considered kind of, you know, low end does by, by the, by the auction standpoints, right. I mean, I couldn't have put one of those does in an auction and, and sold it for anything meaningful. Um, but the production was there and, and these, these, his sons were better than he was. And, and it, it just was very, it was a very powerful thing to me. And so, as I mentioned, when I went back to Tom and sat back down to him and said, Hey, I want to, I want to run this as a business. That's exactly what I wanted to do. And I knew I had to stay relevant out there on the, I had to get better dose. Right. And I, and I, I had some bucks if Dos Sancho, if I believed enough in him, I need to give him some dose that were, worthy right that that would that would be that would people would that would be relevant right that people would understand and so that's that's what i did for the next couple of years i am not um i just it's not my nature to go do it all in one deal i'm going to take my time and i i'm not going to you know I, it, it's something i um, decided early on when tom and i would talk about it i said you know i really want to i'd like to pick up three to five does a year um, at some of these sales or, or, or direct at some of these farms and really just take my time. I didn't, I didn't want to go out. I didn't have to go out there and buy 20 does or 30 does in you know day one. Um, and, but I also, I wanted, I wanted to be picky. I didn't want somebody else. I think, you know, we, we, there's a lot of, a lot of, you know, sales pitches that you hear in our, in our business. And I wanted to make my own decision. You know, I wanted, I wanted animals that Tom and I liked, you know, I didn't want somebody else to, sell me on something I should like. I wanted to like it, you know? And so I basically went around uh, to as many farms as I could. And again, back then it wasn't very easy to locate, you know, to, to go on. There wasn't, there wasn't Facebook and uh, wasn't the ability to go figure out who was where. And so, but I went around what I thought were kind of the main breeders in the state and looked at their bucks and their breeder bucks and their sons and, and um, after all of that, my favorite, hands down, was Robert Williams, uh, the genetics back then. And he had, you know, I, I mean, I was lucky enough to go to his into his uh, pens and see Monarch, twenty twenty eight, Dagger Drop, Big Bob. I mean, they were all there to look at, you know. And mm -hmm. and I'd seen seven twenty seven, um, but out of all those bucks, you know, I loved Monarch. I just loved them. And, and I, you know, I, I was, I, I would look on what back then DNA solutions was our online um, database of, of pedigrees or whatever. And, and uh, I could see that she had five daughters and lo and behold, the next, you know, that next, I think new year sale 
at Texas Top 30, Robert put pink, you know, pink 40 for sale in there. Well, that's that's Monarch's full sister. I was like, I'm buying that dough, you know. And, <laughs> And it's just, it's just, you know, it's one of those things. And, and luckily, I mean, it was just a, it was just weird how it worked out. But for some reason, Robert, you know, sold three of Red 55s. She had five daughters at the time, but he sold three of them over a period of about two years. And I bought them all. Um, we, we bought Pink 40, which was Monarch's full sister. Um, Monarch was born in 04. I think she was born in 05 or 06. Um, and then um, he put in blue 10, which was dagger drop on red 55. Monarch's mom is red 55. So I bought Longhorn red 55, which is Monarch's full sister. Uh, I next bought uh, blue 10, which was dagger drop on red 55. Then we ended up buying white 56, which was named the matriarch, which was big Bob on red 55. And I, I couldn't believe it. I, I was in hog heaven. They, they were not cheap does. Um, and we had to, we had to spend you know, make a pretty good investment to purchase the does. Um, but I, I was absolutely thrilled. And, I, you know, I finally had kind of the best of the best, what I thought was the best then. And um, there were some other named does, but that, that's what the, all, the countless hours with Chris McSpadden taught me to look at that maternal side, to, you know, to look at mothers, to look at sisters. It wasn't just... Um, random on the production those animals produced and you know when i look back on all that stuff you know you 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 pray that they stay healthy and you know stay alive in your pens when you when you make an investment like that um but every one of them their first son i mean our pink pink 40s first son became a breeder buck for us we called him hardhorn he was hardcore on monarch sister um you know, looking through the years, she had another son, Kid Dynamite, on her. I named him Fuse. He had a twin sister. You know, she all that stuff produces. Um, Fuse, Miss Fuse, is the mother to our current bug off limit. I mean, it, it all, it all kind of, all kind of comes together when you when you look at the production uh, on that stuff. But um, I'm curious. So, like, we're we're obviously in uh, our our deer are very different, right? Like, I have northern deer you have Southern deer. Um, I'm curious as to, um, because I know you've used some Northern, uh, stock over the years, curious, and, and maybe we can just, we'll stay on the red 55 thread. Cause I'm, I'm interested. Cause I can, I can see that, uh, she's obviously a big part of your, your core program. Um, how does the, how does the body size and, and condition, um, kind of hold true, like as you've like what what have you observed over the years? Like you obviously have uh, like Pink Forty, the Monarch sister. Um, mm -hmm. You know, like are they like what what's a what's a average weight on those mature does? Are they one hundred and thirty, forty, fifty pounds, or is that? Yeah, they are. Like yeah, sure, one hundred and thirty. Gotcha. Um, you know, her daughters have always been like it depends on what you breed it to. Like the yeah. kid, you know, kid dynamite had more northern in him. He's that's yeah. Max Dream's womb brother, but um Miss Fuse, as I call her, she's a she's just a great framed dough. She's big. Um mm. but they they do well. Um it just depends, you know, all the 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 northern you, you hear a lot of sales pitches out of a lot of people on on survivability and stuff. And I and I and I always think it's, you know, I'll I'll make my own decision based on, you know, we we we've bred a lot of those sires and yeah, some some sires 
don't survive well. Some of them do. Some of them could be northern. Some of them could be Texas. You know, mm-hmm. it just depends on on where you are. I mean, as I mentioned, that Bones, he was a hundred percent northern buck. We've had we've had two Bones Jr. lived to be seventeen. Wow. We had two does make it to twenty one. Um, and so, you know, a lot of that stuff. I, I think it's just, you know, if I you can make your own decision yeah. based on on survivability. Yeah, but, interesting. And body sizes. Yeah, yeah. I and and I I ask because like it's a it's a it's a big part of my program here. Um, although I've I've been making concessions in my mind, which are going to eventually work its way into my program um, on the GBV and and CWD front, right? Um, and I and I, I I'm not going to muddy the water of our conversation with that uh, quite yet. Um, I was just, I'm always curious to know, like, um, you know, I've seen some of Robert's kind of call them purebred does, um, for, for whatever term you want to use. And like, they have this beautiful, just like kind of classic gray, um, pretty, pretty look to them. Um, and I, I always, I always wonder what, you know, the, the hybrid crosses are when you put up maybe a full Northern in or something like that. And like, what that does, do you get, you know, when you get two siblings that are, you know, both dozed is one big, one small, or is there variations? And it's probably also all over the board. And I just wonder what, you know, how you work through mm-hmm. that. And does that make a difference to you at all? You know, you know, a lot of that Northern stuff, um, we, we never been afraid to use some of that stuff. I, as you mentioned, it all changes now with GBD and stuff, but, yeah. but I think it goes back, especially with the red 55 girls, um, as we talked previously on the last show, it's it's always it's always been about trying to create the perfect female, mm. and and by that I mean you know like those does that, that are out of red fifty five, I'll either try to line breed them to 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 monarch himself or to some other you know son of monarch whether it's no limit, monarch supreme something like that, but it's kind of seen like what you could put in the middle there. So I might outcross that that red 55 daughter and then line breed it to red 55 or I might line breed it to red 55 and then need a buck like a Northern buck or a different buck out of Texas to totally outcross it. Right. And, and so I'm, I'm more focused on that um, than anything. Right. I mean, you, you definitely see, it's fun to, to see the, the body sizes and stuff in the pens when you, when you kind of start looking at how they're constructed, it, it, it makes sense, but that was that's what it was always about for me and that's kind of the the fun part of, of kind of you know i love the cerebral side of all of all the pedigree stuff and and before the last couple of years it's always been about lining up making sure a lot of those females were in there and getting them in there twice on top and bottom was was huge and you know that's that's you know off limit is a is a perfect example he's the first you know, I, I took, we had Miss Monarch, we pink 40, we named Miss Monarch, um, and outcrossed her with Kid Dynamite. And then, you know, we're lucky to get a buck and a doe. We took that doe and line bred it to no limit. And truthfully, um, I was fired up because I felt like that would be a perfect doe as, as much as you could get, right? There, there, maybe there's never, you're never done on that pursuit of perfection, right? But, <clears throat> but at least if I get a doe on that, then I've got red 55 on bookends and I can take her, I can take that female and breed it to anything. Well, I got a buck out of it and we named him off limit. So, you know, it's, it's been fun because he's, he's tightly bred, you know, he's a line bred red 55 buck. And, 
So he, he gives me options just as he is. He scores pretty well on GBV, which is fun. And he's a GS, which is great. Um, mm-hmm. So I, you know, I went pretty heavy with him this last year. Um, do you think that um, you're going to continue to focus on red 55 and like just working those offspring as many different ways as you can? I mean, is that kind of the goal I do. forward? Or? You know, it's, you know, what's, what's fun is, um, you know, as well as I do, there's, there's certain does that, that will synchronize on AI and, and you can really get, and you get lucky enough to get females out of them. There's some does that you can't synchronize and they'll never take the AI and you're kind of, it is what it is, right? Well, all of my red 55 has been very productive in the AI. Um, we don't do any flushing or anything. It's, we just do traditional, you know, AI and, and huh. we've, we've got some very cool crosses that we've put on the ground that I just, I, I love. I mean, we, I've got, you know, as I mentioned, yeah, Kid Dynamite on Monarch Sister. I've got Triple Crown on Monarch Sister. I've got, you know, Overnight on, uh, I've got a 2028 on Monarch Sister. I've got Overnight 2028 Monarch Sister, you know, and then you can, that's just one baseline doe. The other one yep. is is the Big Bob Monarch's mom. I've got, you know, I've got Big Stitch daughter out of her. I've got an Overnight daughter out of her. I've got a 2028 daughter out of her. Uh, and then you switch to the dagger drop red 55 i've got a kid dynamite daughter who's a full sister to our butt clutch so you you look up and as i mentioned earlier about taking taking our time to to buy this version 2.0 it took several years at you know three to five does a year well you look up now and you're like i got you know i got 20 offspring that go back to red 55 uh with varying degrees of of outcrossing and, and hybrid vigor that's that's so cool that, that gives you so many options um, going forward. So I, yes, I, I I I will continue to breed that line. Number one, it's been incredibly productive, um, and they're they're very you know it's a very hardy line as it is, but but very productive and it's just it's relevant. It stays you know it will stay relevant. How many uh, going forward? How many does do you guys run breeding does ballpark? typically about 130 130 that's what we breed we 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 will ai um call it 90 roughly um and then live breed yeah we'll we'll live breed you know seven or eight bucks um and kind of spread some some does out across that and and that that'll change this year will be a you know we as i mentioned the other day we've made some pretty tough calls this year and my numbers are going to be a lot lower um, next year and especially this AI year. Um, so it'll kind of reestablish kind of, you know, us going forward and get our numbers back up. Um, but that's, that's typically, I try to sell around 40 does a year. And so I, you know, trying to keep 90 to hundred fawning out is my goal every year. Gotcha. Um, when you, um, when you look at, you know, the market moving forward, obviously some of those, those tough decisions come around, um, chronic wasting disease, susceptible, uh, susceptibility breeding. Um, you know, do you, do you think that like, are you going to maintain that number? Is that kind of the plan? Just, just keep, keep calling out the, the bottom and, and keep building up. Um, you know, obviously trying to stay true to the, uh, the breeding path, but also, you know, incorporating those GB, GBVs, um, is that kind of the, the goal moving forward? It is. I, you know, that's, I like having, um, 
40 to 50 animals. Uh, I sell about 40 to 50 does and 40 to 50 bucks every mm. year. Um, that's a very manageable deal for me. I, you know, back, um, you know, as we were ramping up the, in Texas, we're, we have so much, um, business to be made with, with ranch owners that are stocking ranches and the bread dough side of the business for me is, is my bread and butter. Um, love it. It's, it is, it is stronger than ever. Um, and you know, there's times I want to have, I would love to have more cause I could sell twice that at least. Um, but also, you know, in the back of my mind, remember, you know, 2015 and I remember 2021 and what happens when the industry gets locked down and, and I want to be able to have a manageable number in the pens that, um, you know, so it's kind of, I, I, I want the numbers. I just don't want to get overly big. I want to be sure. able to control it. Yeah. Um, so. so when you, um, like, I, I guess we'll just jump into the, the GBVs cause it's, it's now like something that we, we can't really operate without, you know, and it's a, it's, it's data that we, we, we have, right. Like we can't, can't turn it away. You can't unsee it. Um, when you, when you look at that, like how, how aggressive do you end up being, um, like, or is it, is it now like a matter of looking at every single dough and, and every buck and like making a conscious effort to, to work towards that? For sure. You know, I, I we, we, as we talked about on the last show for me, um, the exposure side of things is, is paramount and when and something you have to think about and us being generally pretty close to one of the uh, positive farms of 21, I have to take it serious and I am. And, in you know, so we have GBVs back on every animal in our pens now. Um, and our, you know, we're getting it on our 2022 fawns as it comes trickling in and it's been fun seeing it. Um, but absolutely. I, you know, I, I'd say it's, it's a new, it's a new way of, of doing things. Our, my, my old way of doing things was, which has been so fun is that, you know, being blessed with a buck like Dos Sancho in the pens, um, when we, when we would grow, you know, our, our, our set of three-year-old bucks for that year, um, if, you know, the ones out there that had the best look were always Dos Sancho sons. And I mm. would, I would pull their DNA and look at them and say, wow, that's, that's Dos Sancho on 324 or that's Dos Sancho on 407 and that's, you know, whatever blue 29. And I would say, I would be like, well, I still have all three of those does. And so I would, uh, you know, that's, that's, that's how I would uh, breed. I would basically recreate those bucks and make full sisters. Um, everything we talked about earlier about how I was, you know, trying to go up to that red 55. It was all about that anchor dough and all about that mother. And if I, I had something proven, I would just go recreate it. The GBV side of things now complicates that a little bit because what if that buck didn't score well, or, you know, <laughs> now I've got to, I've got to rethink it, but it's been fun um, you know, that doe is, as long as she scores well, she's still in the, in the system, in our, in our inventory. And I can breed her two bucks that not only look good to me, but also score well on GBV and code on 96. And, and I can put a better product on the ground out of a productive female that has already produced a certain buck. So there's, there's really no guesswork on, on her value as far as production goes, um, it's just creating something new um, mm -hmm. that checks two other boxes going forward. So, and we'll see how it, how it plays out. I'm, I can't wait. 
um, to, to, to get more of those babies on the ground. Yeah, for sure. Um, I, I, I keep circling back to red 55 in my head and I, I want to, uh, I want to continue to explore that because I, I find that, um, y- you know, it's almost like, you know, if you like review, uh, some, if, if, you know, if you're an investor and you review listening to Warren Buffett talk about what he's done over the years, right? Like some call him maybe the most successful investor ever. Right. And he's like, well, I'll just, just buy the S&P index. And, you know, when you sell it, it's going to be up in, in many years. Okay, sure. And that's a, that's a very diversified look at, at a investment strategy. But if you look at what he did, you know, the guy bought 400 million shares of Coca-Cola. That's a very targeted investment. Like, um, and I, I look at, I look at deer similarly, especially these females. And I say, you know, based on, and, and was one of the reasons why I asked about herd size, you know, you got, call it, you know, 20 ish, uh, direct line female offspring from red 55. Uh, how, how high does that get? Do you take, I mean, like, are you like, are you comfortable having 50, 50, if you could have 50% of your doe herd, go back to red 55, would that be okay with you? Like, well, I, you know, I, I, I took what, what we, uh, what I saw the production wise with red 55 and, Meanwhile, I was looking elsewhere, right? There were other lines that I liked that I wanted to run parallel and, and kind of, you know, some keep some of those pure line breed them pure and then also, cr- you know, cross them together. And those are like the HR10 line, you know, J5 mm-hmm. Ranch, the HR10 is a very productive female. And so I, I got into that line pretty hard and, 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 it, and it's been nothing but great. Um, Yankee Doodle Dandy, who is, you know, 727's mother. Um, we bought Monarch on Yankee Doodle Dandy. Her first son is a buck we call Super Dandy. I mean, that was that was her first son at Big Rack, you know. And so, uh, you know, she, you know, has product has produced extremely well for us. Have a, daughters, granddaughters, whatever. Um, that was another line. We had we had two females, uh, two direct daughters of Yankee Doodle Dandy. Um, we had three daughters out of Red Fifty Five. Uh, uh, had uh, a couple of daughters out of HR 10, a couple of granddaughters. We had high heats, womb sister, um, trying to get, so, so diversifying all that, you know, if you could have, if I, if I had a hundred does and I had 20 out of each one of those five lines, that's what I wanted. And the other one that the other line that, that we added was blue one, which was two wides womb sister. Um, and that's the one that is kind of the current favorite uh, that's been fun to play with because we're, we're, we have a, a current breeder named Mariachi. Um, and he goes back to that line. And I was, I was very interested in the blue one line because she was, she's two wides womb sister. And I always wanted to put a, you know, Dos Sancho was a two wide son. So I always wanted to put a two wide son back and and somewhere back in the back have two wides womb sister. And so that, that was kind of the, the, the experiment in the, on the front end. And, you know, I've always loved, um, a buck, you know, witch doctor seven C's, um, who goes back to two wides full sister. And so I just, all of this stuff was playing in my head of, of possibilities. Like, man, it'd be cool to, to include combine two wides full sister with two wides son Dos Sancho with two wides womb sister. Right. And you put all that together and that's mariachi. Mm-hmm. Um, which is it's so it's been so fun to see some of that stuff play out because you're just you know you're just kind of 
studying, you know, staring at GMS over and over, looking at frames, looking at some of these, you know, where, where those sisters and brothers line up. And, and so, yeah, to answer your question, um, no, I wouldn't want all of it to be that way. I'd want to kind of spread it out. And in, in my perfect world, I've got, you know, five lines and I've got 20 does of each uh, working, you know, uh, and, and line breeding them and outcrossing them and, and just having a plan more than anything. Hmm. Um, I think that's what's so important is just having a plan and sticking to it. And our industry, you know, it's very easy to get distracted uh, by the, by the buck of the month, you know, come, you know, there's a new buck that pops up and it's like, you know, no, let's stay here. You know, it's, um, if you've got does like that we mentioned earlier that are kind of what I consider ready for the outcross that are, you know, as, as good as they can get, then it's, then you can go jump on some of those bucks, you know, and breed them and, and, and experiment and play a little bit. But, um, that, that's probably my, my favorite part is just kind of getting a diversified grouping. Um, so like those, some of these does that you've mentioned, obviously they have some very prominent sons, um, or, or brothers. And if you look at those, like, as you start to dig into those lines, uh, specifically, um, you know, how do you, how do you look at, like, do you, do you start to think about, um, you know, traits that you're seeing over and over? um in in certain lines like one one line might be have just a, a more of a propensity to throw width and and you say okay like um you know this this other line is just not you know it's a 24 inch wide kind of line and i right. i know that like red 55 is going to give me consistent width right so i if i can add that into that line for my outcross and then come back in like do you start do you start using your own lines um for for your your production increases as far as trait trait breeding is that how you're looking sure. at it yeah yeah i mean I, I i'm very picky on you know I, like our our tagline is looks matter you know and, and that's i am so bullish on that i don't care really what a buck scores i i want it to look like what we like and my my probably my biggest um uh thing that i like is a clean forehead clean bases you know i i i I try to uh stay away from too busy of a of of a you know a bucks that have too busy of a base um and you know g2s are another uh important part just the length of g2s and try to try to stay there as much as i can um everybody likes a wide buck you know and um i you know i do too but it's gotta it's gotta check those other boxes too i i've got to it can't be too busy on the forehead and it's got to have good tine length. Um, and so that, you know, those are, those, those are the first things I look for, you know, now, now it's like in front of all that it's, it's what's GVV and code on 96. <laughs> and then, and then I'll, I'll see how much I really like this. It's a qualifying like standard, buck. right? Like for sure, at least for sure. That, that's, I think that's the first time I've, I've said that out loud, but it, it actually, that makes sense, right? Like mm. it has to have these things. And then, right? Yeah. And, yep. and ho- hopefully, as people continue to to test and we get more more data, I think the last time I checked was maybe a month ago, and we were at uh, sixteen thousand. So, you right. know, I suspect by breeding season we'll be pushing twenty five thousand mm-hmm. deer that they've they've tested using um, 
using GBV. So that gives us a, a little bit more to choose from. Cause I know last year it was hard. Like it was a, it, right. like people and like, they were just getting the results like mm. literally days prior to breeding. So like, it's not like it was tough. Yeah. I didn't, I didn't know any there. of my does uh, oh. prior to breeding. And it was, you know, I knew like super dandy was our best scoring. He's a GS, but he's a negative 0. 0.274 or something nice. like that. Um, and so I was pumped, you know, like it's, it's great. And so we, you know, but he's, he's, uh, he just turned 10. So, you know, it's kind of like, well, let's not overdo him. Oh, so we oh, AI him still. Yeah. yeah. Um, and off limit and a buck called majesty majesty is another direct, uh, monarch sister son at a freeze frame. And so he's a negative, he's a GS negative 0.17, um, but bred him pretty heavy and to some really good girls, but yeah, it's, it's a whole new, it's a whole new, you know, factor you gotta, yeah. gotta consider um so i want to go back to uh to uh like early early days and just kind of maybe talk of you talked a little bit about like the mentorship and um some of those early lessons just if you could share some perspective from you know then to to now and and just maybe reflect on a few of those those things, maybe not anything specific, but a general generalized thought about, you know, where we were to, you know, where we, we yeah. are today in the industry. Well, you know, I, I saw firsthand um, what I hear over and over again from people that, that might have a bad experience and they, uh, with, you know, that are stuck in a ranch is the DNA side of things is real and it is such a valuable tool. And what I, what I left out you know, during our discussion earlier today, just talking about, you know, where we were is, is I did buy some other does probably around 2000, 2001. And back then, as I mentioned, there's, you know, there wasn't a huge network of figuring out who was selling what, but, you know, I, it was, I, I called around a couple of places and this guy wanted 5,000. Ah, that seems expensive. And I found some, so I, I, I kind of did everything that you shouldn't do. And, 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 and there's really only one way to really learn that lesson is by doing it sometimes, you know, and, and unfortunately that's just the truth. And what I mean is, is, you know, I did what most people do and I, I bought, you know, I took the money that we kind of allocated or budgeted for that. I bought the cheapest does I could, I bought quantity, right. And I could buy, God, I could buy 10 of these does when I could only buy four of those does, you know, like, and so I, I did that deal, you know, and I bought the, the quote cheaper does. Um, and by the time they had their babies on the ground, I was D I was, I had DNA run and everything. And, and it really was a, was a point in time where it was like, okay, I had three year old bucks and they were like 140, 100, you know, 150 inches. And I was like, I thought you were, you know, when you bought, I thought when you became a breeder, you were supposed to have big deer, you know, like, I don't understand. And, and every one of them came back to one of those cheap does I bought, you know, and could I have grown something good out of one of those cheap does? Yeah, sure. sure. Um, but, but percentage wise, the odds were stacked against me. And, and, and that's a, that's a, you know, a, an education that, that, you know, a ranch owner has to really trust you on the front end to, to understand that you're not, um, you're not giving them a sales pitch, right? Now, you know, yeah, the does we're selling are more expensive than some other ones you're looking at, but this is why, right? Like I mentioned these, you know, we're selling full sisters to bucks that had the look, right? Like that, that's, that's such an important tool for, for a ranch owner because though every one of those ranch owners 
is going to know in two to three years if they got a if they if they did business with the right guy or the wrong guy, right? Just like just like I did, which I figured out with these cheap does I bought. You know, like man, I figured out I bought I bought the wrong does, yeah. you know, and um, and so you know had to start over and do things twice. And and so my biggest takeaway when I'm talking to people is you want to do it one time, um, especially you know in Texas we're so blessed to have the ability to stock all these ranches and it, it's such a a great responsibility we have to do it to do it right to do it one time um, and so it's something i take really serious and i want it to work out they're obviously paying us for these animals and um, i'm going to answer the phone when they call me and i want them to tell me if they're getting babies on the ground if, if they have any issues with these does or if they don't get something if something doesn't go their the, the right way we're, I'm going to make it right. Right. And, and we're going to, we're going to make it where it's a good experience for them. And the babies, they get on the ground, the bucks that they see um, those guys, it leads to more and more business because, you know, those guys have a good experience with you and get the bucks on the ground that they hope they would. They tell their friends about it and you start, and those calls come, come straight to you. And so that's, that's my biggest advice for anybody going forward, whether you're a ranch owner or you're a breeder, um, it's, you know, it's your money. You need to, you know, spend it the way you want to spend it on, on animals and, and with the person you want to do business with uh, that you believe in and trust. So, um, you know, I, I, I love that part of it. Yeah. I think that's a, I think that's a, a great, um, great piece of advice. I know that there's, um, there's always challenges, you know, especially with, with livestock and, and, you know, deer, deer in general, like things happen, but, you know, having a, you know, a sound background and, and working with someone that wants to work with you is, is really important. Um, as far as the advertising side, you know, I, I, and, um, I I've seen, I think the best advertising that I've seen from, from you is you post up your, your stalker, your stalker box when they go out the door. And like, I, I love looking at them, you know, you guys, in, in my opinion, um, from a consistency standpoint, it, it, it appears that you have one of the most consistent herds that I've seen in Texas for the style of deer that, that I like. So kudos to you guys for, for pumping those guys out just year after year after year. Um, it's a testament to, to your, to your breeding program. And, and I think, uh, I think there's good things to come. So pretty awesome. Well, that's, you know, I have, I have, uh, thank you very much. I have like several like favorite days of the year being a deer breeder, right? I mean, there's, there's, you know, AI day is awesome. I love when the first baby hits the ground. I, you know, I just, there's so many things I love about raising deer, but the day we get to knock the deer down and put them on a trailer and get our hands on them, we've watched them all summer grow out. And, you know, especially when it's a, when it's out of one of your bucks and it's a Dos Sancho's son, or it's a, you know, something that, that it means something to you. Um, it is the best. And, you know, that's why I'm, I'm always grinning from ear to ear on, on, on most of those pictures. <laughs> yeah. Uh, Cause it's just, it's like Christmas morning, you know, it's, it's so fun. And especially if you've sold a, a buck to, uh, if some of those guys, I encourage them to come out when we're loading them, come, come get your hands on them. Um, if it's a breeder buck or if it's a, a group of stockers going out to a ranch, like, sure. Come, come feel them and see them in person. And they're, they're blown away. It's, you know, you know, as well as I do, it's, they're bigger, you know, in, you know, when you Always. get them on the ground, it's amazing. Yeah. It's, it's rare that I, I get the ground shrinkage. They're, right. they got, 
watermelons for heads and you're just like how how in the world do they do this this is this right. is amazing so that's it's awesome amazing. um well with that we're going to wrap up i appreciate you taking the time to talk with me this is the first opportunity that we've really had to to dig into her that i've had to dig into her so i i appreciate you sharing um you know your your uh, entrance story into the market and certainly your your breeding program uh and i look forward to seeing you here in a couple of weeks at the tda convention you bet Thanks for the time. Thanks for having me. Yes, sir. And with that, stay tuned for another episode of North American Deer Talk.